0: It's the easiest campaign in the world to talk about. I mean, I have yet to encounter anybody on a one-to-one basis that thinks this is a bad idea. It's a kind of obvious thing. We shouldn't massively destroy the environment. I mean, you know, it's like, where are you gonna argue with that?
1: Ollie.
2: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 219. Welcome yourself, all, to Sustainable 219. You are looking like I'm feeling. Um, like which is, I'll, I'll leave it up to you to decide how I'm feeling. <laughs> Golly. Um, Golly. I had my second gosh. jab this morning. Second jab, Dave. Feeling yes. quite Ooh. tired, but otherwise fine. Please report. Golly good. I didn't ask. Hmm. Uh, wh- who are we? What's going on? We are Sustainable we are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, aren't we all? Yes. All about people and the planet, and why, despite everything being naused, there may be a way to have a little chuckle and a massive change of international law about it, (laughs) yes? Yes, and when we say everything, we mean everything.
1: Everything. Everything being naused. Absolutely, yes, this week we are going to be talking about a thing, a word, I suppose, a concept, which been around for a while but is really hotting up and that concept that word is ecocide
2: what's that oh sounds like a fizzy drink
1: yeah <laughs> it does a bit isn't it well it's it's about turning the wanton and widespread destruction of the planet and everything on it into a crime making making nausing the planet a crime uh, like homicide a big crime. or
2: genocide or something else
1: yeah like the big ones the big big International crimes. So that is a hugely exciting concept, and we are talking to the magnificent Jojo Mater, who is the co founder of the Stop Ecocide Foundation um, and does all sorts of other highfalutin things. Actually, like convenes the inter- independent expert panel for the legal definition of ecocide.
2: Yeah, this is a thing that we've, uh, I think it's safe to say, we've wanted to do something about for ages, but it's been in the news recently because they have just put together a definition. Some of the world's brainiest lawyers have just put together like a definition of what ecocide might mean, which we talk about. Um, but we were asked by a couple of listeners in the last couple of weeks to, to look into this. And uh, so thanks very much to Sash and to Ruth for your emails, which we both, you know, see it's working. Babel does listen. Babbel does babble. In response to Babel. he's asking it to babble about Babel. So... That's what we've done. I
1: mean, Christ, it's hard enough coming up with new things, you know, out of our own heads after 219
2: episodes. So, like, if you've got ideas, we will do them. Just the usual disclaimer before any of that. We do work for environmental charities, do we not all? We do. But these are very much our own views. So if anything that you hear makes you want to take us in front of the world's most senior judges and slap us with a big, big punishment and a smack on the bottom take it up with me and all directly but not with anyone for whom we work yes
1: very good now we are as you know a listener funded podcast and that means that we need your dosh to keep doing what we're doing so if you would like to give us our do- your dosh uh you can do so by going to P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com forward slash Sustainer thank you thank you to all of the magnificent Babel supporters who do give us cash that way it makes a huge difference frankly we wouldn't be able to keep doing it without you so join those people feel good about yourselves um and be more attractive to everyone
2: so let's get on with the chat with jojo and we started by asking her whether indeed Ecoside is a fizzy drink <laughs> So, Jojo, hello. Hi there. Hi. Um, so, we are talking to you about ecocide, which is obviously ripe for having a bit of a laugh with. Um, isn't a type of fizzy drink, but it could be. What is ecocide? Uh, what, what is the concept?
0: It's funny you say that about the drink, you know, because we're talking to a local brewery about, the, you know, the possibility of them actually bringing out a cider called Eco Cider. Anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs>
2: sales, sales of that are either going to be amazing or, or not. Or
0: terrible.
2: Depending on how successful you are. Probably. This,
0: this, this may be a different conversation this week than it was last week. And I say that because the whole movement around EcoCide has taken a huge leap in the last week. And we'll get into that later. But just for a kind of basic basic definition of ecocide, I think it's broadly understood to mean mass damage and destruction of ecosystems. Um, In other words, severe harm to nature that is widespread or long term. Um, And our campaign, which I co-founded with uh, visionary UK lawyer Polly Higgins, who's no longer with us, um, back in 2017, was founded to carry forward the initiative of criminalising ecocide at the international level, so at the International Criminal Court.
1: This is about something that would be attributable to individuals, right? Or like, as a crime, it would be committed by individuals like war crimes are, not by like Shell or BP, but like by the boss of Shell or the boss of BP. So like... They, you could do that person in the International Criminal Court. Is that right?
0: That is essentially the idea, yes. I mean, international crimes are directed at individuals. So, um, as with, I mean, of course, the international crimes that are currently in place um, are war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity, and more recently added, the crime of aggression. Um, and, I mean, to use genocide as an example, um, the idea with that crime is not to prosecute the foot soldiers that are involved in. An yeah, act of genocide, okay. but to prosecute the controlling minds. So, with the case of ecocide or serious damage to nature, you would be looking at potentially uh, CEOs or government ministers, or you know those who are in a position to um, to actually make a decision that is going to lead to that serious damage. In other words, they're the ones that are you know ultimately responsible. The buck the buck stops with them.
2: Nail Nail some
0: sense into them. But. What do you hope
2: will change as a result of criminalising individuals as opposed to going after corporations? Because corporations are kind of set up to stop individuals being on the hook, right?
0: Exactly. So currently, I mean, although there are lots of environmental laws in place around the world, most of those, not all, there are some environmental crimes, of course, but most environmental law is in the regulatory sphere. So it involves civil law and often quite sort of long lists of do's and don'ts and exactly how much of a certain toxin is allowed in this context or that context. And what corporations tend to do is work around those. Some of them pay very expensive lawyers to work around those. Um, And of course, they know that court cases are going to occasionally come up and they budget for that. Um, And so, you know, when you take a company to court or you sue a company over an environmental damage, um, yeah, you're probably creating some useful banks of evidence. You're also hopefully doing a bit of naming and shaming and, uh, you know, uh, steering companies in that way. And, you know, maybe in the best cases, you're creating um, a certain level of justice in terms of compensation or, or, you know, to victims and so on. But what you're not doing is actually influencing corporate behaviour and criminal law has the potential to do that. It has the potential to have a a kind of enforceability uh, and a deterrence that that civil regulation doesn't have and that is is often just not present in the area of environmental law because, I mean, environmental law is a body of law that's relatively new. I mean, three or four decades, really, um, most of environmental law has, has, has grown up. Um, And it's still not taken anything like as seriously as law around people and law around property. And so criminalising the worst harms at the highest level has the function of kind of creating a gravitas or a seriousness around damage to nature that simply currently isn't there in our cultural mindset.
1: So like, wh- why why isn't it there in our cultural mindset? Why why do people get not enough people listen to sustainability? Exactly, that's why aren't, there aren't enough right-thinking people like the Babel Army. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, say, you know, crimes against people, crimes against property, but not crimes against nature. Why why not? Why has it not been there before? Why has it taken this?
0: I think this actually is a really, this question goes really deep um, because the whole of, you know, the sort of dominant paradigm in terms of, you know, how the global economy works and how the global legal system works is, has sort of, you know, come from the kind of Western way of thinking, if you like. Um, and that is deeply sort of you know it has roots going back hundreds if not thousands of years that have a really strong kind of dualism in there so i mean you know you can you can go you can go right back as far as plato where you've got a contrast between the ideal and the real you can go right through the domination of the catholic church where spirit is opposed to the body right so spirit good body bad then yeah. you then you go and, and if there's not you almost don't blink going through into the enlightenment you know okay so you're talking science instead of religion but you've got the same opposition you've got reason versus you know the untamed nature and emotion or what have you and (laughs) man as the dominating force so effectively what and you notice it is man generally it is man right Yeah, yeah, absolutely. um, so so what you're looking at is is a kind of very deeply deeply embedded dualism that has as its logical conclusion the economic system that we have today which is effectively dominating treating nature as a bank of resources as something that can be plundered something that can be used for the benefit of man Um, you know and actually what what is now needed is a kind of a reality check because that attitude is rapidly becoming kind of visible as almost a flat earth attitude I mean you know you keep walking west for long enough you're going to realize the world is round if you keep extracting from a finite resource you're going to saw off the branch that you're sitting on and that is what we're in the process of doing so there's there's it, this kind of explains you know why we have this kind of mindset where you know nature is not considered on a par, but the reality is of course that we 're deeply embedded in nature i mean you know we can 't breathe we can 't eat we can 't drink we can 't do anything unless we 've got healthy ecosystems, and we 're busy kind of trashing those at a rate of knots so what uh, criminalizing the worst damage to nature can do is you know actually send a very strong kind of moral message, if you like. If you put ecocide alongside genocide as one of the worst crimes that, that, that can be committed, um, then what you're saying is it's bad and wrong to do this. Um, and you're saying it at a global scale, and that's really important because it's, it's going to have people kind of go, "Oh God, okay. Um, if this is really bad, then you know clearly it must be really important that we maintain, you know, that we protect nature." So there's a, there's a really strong kind of cultural and moral aspect to to the to, the, to this initiative. <laughs> Robin Hood Robin Hood so
2: looking at something that's going on as we record and presumably will be by the time people listen which is the record breaking heat waves in Canada North America How would it get to 49 degrees or something in in Canada, Canada. yeah yeah in in just yeah much love much love to all Canadian listeners and all listeners um would it is the idea that you would be able to try someone for that or does it have to be a bit more specific than that rather than sort of pinning the blame for climate change on someone, that you'd actually be saying, no, no, that specific thing you did there is a problem.
0: It would have to be quite specific. I mean, criminal law doesn't, you know, is, is anything but vague. So, you know, effectively, um, the, I mean, the, the, the way that this, this crime has, uh, I mean, we should actually talk about that, really. This, this crime has just been defined, in fact. Mm. Um, you know, we've, ha- we've had um, a top panel of international criminal lawyers, environment lawyers from all around the world, uh, a group of 12 of them working for six months on creating a robust legal definition for ecocide. And that emerged last week. Um, and so suddenly the world is kind of waking up to this possibility of, of, of criminalising ecocide. And I think that, you know, it's come back to your question... Um What's important is, you know, you've got to be able to prove causation. So you've got to be able to say that, you know, this particular effect or this range of effects was, you know, led from this specific decision. Um, but that, and, and that can be quite tricky in climate because, you know, obviously on one level, we're all contributing to it, you know, driving our fossil fuel cars or, you know, whatever it is that we're doing. But when it comes down to it, A lot of that kind of consumer behaviour is actually driven by policies and subsidies and so on at the highest levels. So, you you could also you know you, you you need we we need to kind of get into perspective the fact that the. The, the big oil and gas companies actually have done a fantastic PR job on the public over the last 20 odd years, you know, to make us all feel like we're all individually responsible and they're just giving us, you know, oil and gas because we want it and we're demanding it, you know, like it's not got nothing to do with the corporate PR world, you know, it's got, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with any of that. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole sort of separation that needs to happen there. And one of the reasons for aiming at the top level is precisely to kind of try and try and access, you know, try and turn off those taps um, at, at source. But I think um, with climate, you're going to be looking potentially at, firstly, at the fact that climate change is a symptom. And it, it's a symptom of which ecocide or mass destruction of ecosystems repeatedly over decades is a root cause. So unless we address those serious levels of damage and destruction, it doesn't matter how many emissions we reduce, we're never going to approach what we want to approach. And, and as we've already seen, from the reports that have been coming out of the UNFCCC. So there was a report that came out in February about the different countries and what they've promised to do by 2030 and what their commitments are. And basically saying, we're going to get 1% there if we follow what's happening now. You know, it's just not enough. It's far too slow. And so, putting a kind of a hard stop, you know, around certain areas is is really going to make a huge difference in terms of approaching Paris targets or approaching UN Sustainable Development Goals and all of that. Um, But there are potentially particular kinds of cases where you could look at um, climate more directly. I mean, this this definition has focused, um, has, has defined the environment in quite a broad sense and includes the atmosphere. So, if you're looking at severe damage, you know, that is going to affect this widespread or long term to the atmosphere, you could be looking at an ecocide. But as I say, you'd have to trace it to a particular person. I got interested, uh, an interesting question the other day on a German TV show, actually, where they they said they were talking about Dieselgate. Um, You remember where um, VW were, you know, lying about the emissions and so on, you know. Mm -hmm. And now effectively... You know, depending potentially on the evidence of the severity of the effects of of that, um, something like that, where somebody has made a decision, you know, not to, you know, to to withhold certain information, for example, that has a very direct effect and a very widespread effect. You know, conceivably in the future, when this law is in place, a a situation like that might be one that somebody would be thinking very, very carefully about before they make that decision.
1: Do you think it could ever be retrospective? as well because I've, I've sort of got in my mind you know you're getting worried is, no, no, it's, so, well, yeah, it's just it's like, like <laughs> just going through my oh there was that time i burnt a fridge
0: no, no. <laughs> no uh, but it's really funny you asked that because i was literally about to go into that because one of the things we get asked often is you know will this act in retrospect you know will it act um on, on situations that are happening now and the simple answer is no um you know criminal but Lord- but,
1: but, but hang on a minute because like, i'm thinking about like there, we did an episode about this ages ago where there was a big Investigation into the extent to which Shell knew about the science of climate change, deliberately covered it up. You know, ploughed on with all of their um, business model, etc., in full knowledge of um, what they were doing was causing the planet to warm up. You know, graphs Mm. that were presented to them said, "Here's the planet. Here's it getting hotter if you carry on doing what you're doing." And they were like, "Lovely. Well, let's just not tell anyone about that." Mm -hmm. And and surely. It would be possible to pin down the person, the boss at the time or whoever, who took that decision mm-hmm. and then say, do you know what? You you now need to be held to account for that in the way that war criminals, you know, we've all seen your TV pictures of war criminals in their kind of 80s or whatever, hauled before the, uh, the RCC or whatever it is and, yeah. and held to account for something they've done 30 years earlier. So why... Why I, wouldn't I, that be the case here?
0: Well, because with war crimes, those crimes existed at that time. So oh, even you know, so so okay. that's that's the that's the main.
1: <laughs> I thought I'd made a really clever insightful point.
0: Look at and, me. No, don't. And you know, generally, I mean, there, if you think about it, there are quite logical kind of rule of law type arguments, I mean, or, or sort of reasons why you can't do something retroactively. I mean, if we, if somebody, you know, I don't know, some, some nutty dictator takes over the UK tomorrow and, decides, Johnson, it, <laughs> and decides that, you know, wearing a red ribbon in your hair is It is against the law and punishable by, you know, five years in prison, are you then going to go, you know, trawl back through the last 20 years, take, you know, find all the photographs of people wearing red ribbons and say, now you've got... No, you can't do that. It just doesn't work like that. So, um, I mean, that's a kind of daft example, but it it at least makes the point. Um, But but there's another aspect to this. It's actually really important that it doesn't act in reverse or it doesn't act retrospectively because... What we're trying to do here, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I came to this from on the ground activism myself. I, I, I spent a long time in the anti-fracking community in the UK. And if you'd have said to me a few years ago, who do you want to see in the dock for this crime? I would have given you a short list. yeah. But, but that's, that's changed. And I'll tell you why it's changed, because what we're trying to do with this law is not ultimately to punish the bad guys, much as that hopefully some of that will happen along the way. Um, what we're actually trying to do is protect the planet. We're trying to change behavior. And if you want to change behavior and you want to do it in quite a fundamental way, which is what this will do, you know, people will seriously need to re-examine the methods and the scale on which they do things. It's all possible. All of those solutions are already here. They're just not being supported enough. All of that. But if you want that change to happen, people need a time in which to do it. So they need to have a kind of time frame. They need to have a phasing in period or a transition period um, where, you know, governments can develop transition policies um you know corporations can develop compliance pathways so that we're all in this moving this way together and we have to you know we can't just point over there and say all oh, that leak in the boat it's at your end <laughs> i mean <laughs> you know it, it just doesn't yeah. work <laughs> it doesn't work like that so so actually it's really important that there that it doesn't act um retroactively um, and it's also one of the reasons why our, our campaign aims for the international level at the international criminal court rather than going for individual governments at the national level i mean we would never discourage anyone from doing that of course but at the same time politically it's actually much easier for a government to support something that's going to happen at the international level. Firstly, they look great doing it. Secondly, they don't have to do anything overnight. And thirdly, it's actually ultimately more practical because if you criminalise something at the International Criminal Court, any member state that then ratifies that crime has to incorporate it in the same form in their own domestic legislation. So, you then end up with a coherent rule across jurisdictions and actually that's really important because with environmental crimes the worst offenders are transnational corporations that are perfectly capable of skipping from one jurisdiction to another.
2: So what happens in practice from where we are now to the day whenever that is, when ecocide is a horrible international crime and you've got people being deterred? What, how, firstly, I guess, how likely is it to happen? And secondly, what has to happen in practice for that?
0: So, uh, firstly, we think very likely. Um, not, really? not yeah, not least because I mean, even a few years ago, um, you know, insurers were saying to us, "We know something like this is coming. We just don't know when." Really. Yeah. That's um, and and that's really interesting because it's actually the insurers and the investors that are going to start shifting first because they're the ones that are going to sit when they're all in fact to be honest, I would say it's almost beginning to happen already, because the conversation's growing so fast and it's now, you know, it's really starting to sort of hit home in in, you know, in the political arena, and, and also, you know, corporations starting to, to take notice of this whole concept is that they're going to be looking very seriously at, at what projects they support, because they're going to be saying, okay, we don't know exactly when this is coming in, but it's approaching. Uh, you know, so we're going to need to start looking a bit more carefully and doing our due diligence to make sure that we stay on the right side of this. Um, so that's one aspect. Um, the second thing is that the political climate as well as the actual climate um, have changed a lot. Um, and there's a much greater awareness that what we're facing as kind of civilization as a whole is a kind of existential threat in regard to um, climate and and ecology and biodiversity loss. And so there's a kind of, there's a driver that is having people now in a way that they, they didn't a few years ago, realize that some kind of sort of parameter, you know, some kind of, you know, hard stop guideline or rule is going to have to come into place um, in order simply to to sort of protect uh, civilization as we know it. So, you know, th- there is a sense of inevitability about this, which is great. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, what, and it obviously work, work, works in our favor. And wh- what we're uh, really think of ourselves as doing is sort of accelerating that so that it can come into place while we still have enough that's worth protecting.
1: <laughs> I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking
2: at one right now.
1: <laughs> no, no,
2: say it's not dead. It's resting. Resting? Yeah. Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage, isn't it?
0: In terms of the the sort of procedure, I mean, there's a a sort of set procedure in the Rome Statute, which is the governing document for the International Criminal Court that says effectively uh, a state, any state that's a member can propose it. Um, You know, a a simple majority can put it on the table for discussion. And to actually adopt it into the document, you need at least two thirds of member states to be behind it. Um, And after that, once it's adopted, obviously states can then ratify, some ratify straight away, others take longer, as with any treaty. But um, the important thing, I suppose, is potentially the numbers in the sense that there are 123 member states, which means you would need 82 of those to be in favour, which sounds like quite a big number. But like the the UN, it's a one state, one vote situation. So there are quite a lot of small countries, potentially, that often act together as a regional bloc, for example. um, And you know, once you have certain groups of states, you are already starting to build quite a strong momentum. And but, the other,
1: but, but, hang on, I know I don't know my geography very well, but I do know that there is more than one hundred and eighty-three countries in the world. One
0: hundred twenty-three. There are definitely one hundred twenty-three. <laughs> there are definitely more than one hundred twenty-three. Um, so, I mean, it, I guess you are saying it's sort of knocking on two-thirds of the world is signed up to the ICC. Not everybody.
1: Okay, so, we, but is that a is that a problem? I mean, what and and this blew my mind, but Dave's told me, so if this is wrong, blame Dave, that the US isn't a member.
0: That is absolutely correct. And neither is China, neither is India, and neither is Russia. So four of the really big, you know, ah. policing countries ah. are not But, and it, you know, it's like, that sounds like a bit of a setback. And in on one level, in the sense that, it, that you wouldn't be able to apply it to US perpetrators in the US, that is correct, you wouldn't. However... There are a couple of things that are um, that people perhaps don't realise about the ICC. I mean, well, one aspect is that none of those countries can prevent it going through because they're not members; so they don't have a vote, and that's actually yeah. quite that's actually quite a good thing. Um, but the other aspect is that the ICC's remit is kind of a bit broader than it initially looks. So, for example, you could have. I don't know, a a Chinese company or a US company um, committing ecocidal activity in a country that is a member state. At that point, they can be prosecuted. There's also the possibility of any ratifying state arresting somebody going on through their territory. So, I mean, an example of this was uh, Senator Pinochet at the end of the 90s in the UK. So the Chilean dictator who was arrested in the UK on grounds of crimes against humanity, he said, oh, hang on a minute, I'm, you know, Chile isn't signed up to this. The UK Supreme Court said, but we are and you're on our territory and therefore we're arresting you.
2: Yes, 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 yes.
0: With ecocide, I mean, sometimes, I mean, there are some ob- obvious examples, one or two at least, of heads of state that could be potentially indicted for this. But largely speaking, it's a corporate crime. And that means that, you know, uh, I don't know, a CEO, for example, could be prosecuted in any ratifying state. There's no particular reason why not. Um, wow. So, so you could a- get,
2: so just to spell it out, so you could have the boss of Exxon could go on holiday in London, mm-hmm. and when he was there, could get, in principle... Nicked for uh, a crime that he committed since Ecoside was brought in. Correct. So that's a thing that could happen. Correct. That's very exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Can we take you back take you back a little bit
1: to the definition? Um yeah.
2: oh, hang on, play the sexy definition music. Oh, we like definitions on sustainable.
1: Yeah, we like definitions. I like things to be clear. And and I was a bit apprehensive when um Dave said, right, here's a definition, because I thought, oh god, this is gonna be lawyer speak, and I I can't understand lawyer speak. Um, but it isn't. Like, it's, it's, it's clear. I can understand it. But one thing caught my eye above all else. You're going to say the thing. Yeah. You're going to say the thing. Well, what's yeah, the, the thing? So, well, so there's two bits of this. And the second bit is all the sort of defining bits. And the very yeah. last bit says by environment, this is what we mean. We mean the earth.
0: <laughs> it's biosphere. I know what you're say.
1: <laughs> it's cryosphere. And I know what the cryosphere is now because I've learned. It's lithosphere, which I don't know. It's hydrosphere watery bits, I suppose, yeah, an atmosphere as well as outer space <laughs> talk to me about the outer space bit
0: <laughs> this is great, I love it so so um. It's really interesting, actually, because when the uh, the drafting panel of lawyers, which and it was it was an incredibly exciting process to to sort of hear them all, kind of you know exchanging the, the ideas and you know digging into all the different different um, terminology and stuff. Because this this definition is actually really strongly based on legal precedent, which actually gives it a real weight, which is fantastic. It's not like they just sort of pulled out of thin air at all. I mean, it's and that that bit with the outer space in actually comes from a previously. defined law so it comes from it, it refers to a a clause in the environmental modification convention i believe from the 1970s um so that that's that's one reason why it's in there is that it actually echoes a previous you know use under under international law um but the i think the the key sort of idea behind that was i mean it wasn't like that particular aspect was you know really sort of strongly discussed it was kind of put in as a a definition that would encompass pretty much everything you could think of that affects the earth environment so actually outer space is is i mean you know obviously outer space could go on forever and i'm sure it wouldn't necessarily be expected to apply you know ad ad infinitum but where that interacts with the outer atmosphere that is actually still apparently called outer space. So huh. so there you go. Anyway. Um, <laughs>
1: so Elon, Elon, Musk, to, Elon Musk. He's not, not to not mind the moon, being so bloody be. smug, isn't
0: he? <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe we need to be having a conversation with Elon.
2: <laughs> Get a haircut, hippie. You have described, so you've you've talked about it in this podcast. You've said this is inevitable and it's coming. Um, But there are an awful lot of people who would fight quite strongly against this, presumably. Because if what has to happen is a country has to propose it, then in any given country, Mm -hmm. the people who might be on the hook for Ecoside might say, hang on a minute, I'm going to spend a lot of political money and a lot of political pressure making sure my government doesn't propose this thing. And similarly, for any country that was thinking about voting for it, Uh right? So... Uh, what sort of backlash are you expecting or have you already got? And how worried are you about that derailing things?
0: How worried are we about backlash? Well, we don't get it publicly. And there's a kind of obvious reason for that. Um, you know, activists quite rightly uh, complain right, left and centre about the greenwashing that goes on from corporations and also the, you know, the sort of same thing really with the government rhetoric. You know, you, all, these are all your promises. What are you actually doing? What we would say about that is that there's a reason that they're greenwashing. They're greenwashing because the public zeitgeist has evolved to a point where if they don't do that, they will not have, you know, social license basically to, to operate. Um, the, the, you know, the, to go back to that corporate PR issue again, you know, the oil and gas industry has done an incredible job of greenwashing over the last, you know, 20 to 30 years. Now, so if they are to publicly object... To what we're proposing they're going to punch a massive great hole in that image (laughs) and and any government is going to do the same so you know what we're, we're i believe that we're actually heading into a space we're not there yet but we're heading into a space where not just corporations are going to have to be seen to be green even if they're not really green governments are also going to ultimately find themselves in a position where it's going to be really embarrassing to say we don't want to support this Mm -hmm. So although there will almost certainly be backlash, it's unlikely to be public because everybody is doing their damnedest to sound as green as possible. And this is the most no brainer proposition that you're ever going to come across. I mean, on one level, it's literally, I mean, you know, it's the easiest campaign in the world to talk about. I mean, I have yet to encounter anybody on a one-to-one basis that thinks this is a bad idea. It's a kind of obvious thing. We shouldn't massively destroy the environment. I mean, you know, it's like, where are you going to argue with that? You know, so publicly, no, we don't think we will get the backlash. If that happens, it's going to happen behind the scenes. It's going to happen with, you know, I don't know whether it's bribes or packages or what have you. So, you know, the important thing is going to be the public pressure. And that is... And that's really ramping up, and that's a big part of our job. What we've now found out within the last, particularly in the last few months, this has become really clear, is that where we have campaigns on the ground, and we do have them in now, sort of I think it's like 18 countries, um, either our own groups or associate groups who are working on this narrative in those places we're starting to get political traction. And it's quite clear that when there are people in the country, in the culture, in the language talking about this, the political dial is directly getting pushed. And that's really encouraging. And it's really empowering because what it means is that, you know, every listener to this show, you know, might, you know, your average person probably thinks of international criminal law as being you know, kind of on the moon, you know, like miles away and remote. But what we're seeing quite concretely from the numbers is that where people talk about this, it makes a concrete difference. So whatever your network is, whatever the sector is that you work in, whatever your walk of life, you start talking about ecocide, that conversation Mm. is trickling into the political arena. And we're seeing it because we're seeing it with the people that are coming to us from governments saying, OK, tell me about this definition. Sometimes I get asked, you know, is it the public consciousness changing that brings the law into place or is yeah, the law coming into place, that. the thing that changes the public consciousness? And actually, I would say it's almost both because, and, and a good example would be something in the UK like the um, uh, the Child Protection Act. that came in in 1989. So already kind of, you know, the sort of ethical stance was changing in, in the public consciousness and that enabled a law to come in that said, you know, it is no longer okay to discipline your child exactly how you want to. You know, you're not allowed to beat up your kids anymore, basically, right? It's now a crime. But the fact that that became a crime has also in turn, shifted the whole moral baseline of of the culture. Mm. So now if you see someone, you know, hitting a kid in the street, you're shocked. It's, you know, it's morally abhorrent. And and that is, you know, that is probably a far more, you know, general response now as a result of the fact that it is criminal. And we know it's criminal and it has been for some time.
2: And so- that's how stuff changes, isn't it? The smoking bans maybe another example, right? It wasn't like someone just turned around and said, right, we're going to ban smoking. There was sort of years and years of making smoking more expensive and banning the advertising in... Sports and then you get to the point where you ban it, and then having banned it in you know uh, public places, you then the culture starts to change some more, and then you can do other things. And yeah, I mean, I did have that when I was first looking at ecosight that kind of rather idiotic binary question in my head of, well, is this a thing that that helps you win or a thing that shows you that you have one? But I think the <laughs> idea that doesn't work like that, it, you know, it's both. It's, it's both those things at the same time and other stuff as well. Is yeah. what's so exciting about it. I
0: think so I mean, I mean, Philippe Sands, who was who's this. Um, fantastically um well-known international lawyer who who was one of one of the co-chairs of the drafting panel for the legal definition he he uses this phrase new times new crimes and and you know links it to when genocide and crimes against humanity were first um you know coined if you like uh, after the second world war um it's like the world had never confronted this concept of genocide until that Mm. point. And and I think we're at a similar point now with the situation in relation to, you know, our relationship to nature. You know, it's been one of harm for a really long time. And we now know that unless we can make it one of harmony, we're going to be in for, you know, trouble in the long haul um and and it's actually it's not even the long haul i mean you know as you say right. I, mean, well, look, these, I mean look i mean look at the pandemic exactly look at the pandemic look at the heat wave over you know in 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 the um in north america at the moment you know the the and but but you know there have been effects being felt in you know the global south for for, for even longer and, and and this is one of the things that's also interesting about this crime is that potentially it does give us a bit of an opportunity to sort of balance up the kind of colonial domination of, um, uh, 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 of the current global economic situation because, because you're aiming for the key decision makers in an ecocidal situation, you're not aiming at the people who are in the country necessarily that is suffering the ecocide because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the um, seriously destructive activity is happening in the global south, but it's financed and decided in the global north. So, that's really interesting too.
1: So, Jojo, how how can our listeners help? What can they do? How can they get involved? Presumably they can't just decide to become an international lawyer of great renown. But, um, I mean, if any of them are listening, I suggest they get in touch with you. But uh, what what can the ordinary Babbel listener do to, to help make ecocide a crime?
0: Quite a lot, actually. Um, I mean, obviously, we'd recommend that you go to our website, stopecocide.earth, and there's an Act Now menu, which is probably a dozen items long, so there's lots of different things you can do. Um, The key one is talk about it. Sounds really simple, but that word and that concept is hugely powerful. Talk about ecocide. Talk about the fact that it should be a crime. And actually, right now in the UK... It's probably not it's probably quite a good time to contact your elected representative and I'll tell you why. Because there's recently been inserted into the environment bill, which is going through the House of Lords at the moment, an amendment. It's amendment number two eight seven. Hang
1: on, play the amendment two eight seven music, Dave.
2: (laughs) <laughs>
0: and it's basically urging the UK government to get behind making an international crime. Now, uh, you know we believe this would be a super easy political win for Boris at the moment for the UK government. I mean, it's got it's 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 really looking sleazy at the moment, um, and we've got COP 26 coming around yeah. the corner, and we've got a country that is not doing a really fantastic job at the top level of actually looking like leaders in this space. Now they could say, do you know what? In principle, we'd support ecocide becoming a crime at the international level. They don't have to do anything overnight, but my God, do they look good! I mean, you know, mm. this is you know this is a real political opportunity. So you should be tapping your MP on the shoulder and going, "Oi!" <laughs> you know, um, this is the moment to support. You know, Amendment Two Eight Seven in the Environment Bill. But yes, talk about it. Obviously, if you happen to have a lot of spare pocket money, funds are always welcome. Um, you know, this is this is a, a we're at a point of expansion in what we're doing, and we you know obviously um, as our as our team grows and the conversation gets bigger there's 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 always um a need for funds but um what you can also do is spread the word in more concrete ways i mean we've got for example we've got fantastic little slideshow we've got speeches you can give we've got um you know all sorts of ideas in terms of you know supporting you know getting this getting this word spread and it literally is spreading the word the word eco side (laughs)
1: Jojo, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for the epic work you are doing <laughs> and uh, <laughs> with with your team. Um, it's it's extraordinary, and it's so exciting to see it to see it where it is now. Because like, I, I do remember hearing about it years ago and thinking yeah. that's an interesting concept. Will never happen. We'll never get anywhere. And. Um, we know that was bollocks it it evidently (laughs) is getting somewhere and yeah all all power to you and in terms of getting it over the line
0: no, that, that, that's fantastic. And, and I think it, we've actually had this issue for years where people have said to us, that sounds like a good idea. And we would be kind of going, you don't understand, we're already part way there, you know, <laughs> and you know, now that is finally becoming visible. So yeah, that's really exciting. And also, you know, people, I think a lot of people tend to feel a bit despairing or a bit kind of disempowered around the scale of, you know, the climate and ecological crisis. So just knowing that conversations that you're happening could be pushing a solution that has a real concrete effect like this I think is is pretty um heartening
1: right so that is just about it for another episode of Babel. thank you very 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 much to Jojo for doing a profoundly important thing and yeah. like doing it
2: incredibly well. Um, isn't, it, uh, isn't it amazing just to have someone with that clarity just kind of go, no, no this shit should be illegal and we're going to make it illegal.
1: Yeah, you know, just, I, It's, it's just really
2: th- nice to have someone kind of remem- to point that out to you, don't you think? I think I've talked about this before but some of these
1: things have the sort of simplicity of like childhood about them in a way that like a child understands that it's wrong to just like gnaws up the planet or like gnaws up the outside gnaws up animals and plants and then grown-ups sort of make it all complicated and all but on the one hand this and all but on the other hand that and some of these campaigns are so great because they bring it back to that like very kind of moral simplicity of like don't
2: break things Indeed, don't break things or we will bang you up. Prison, as my good friend Alan once said, is a much underused deterrent. So, thank you very much all. Um, thank you to the wonderful Dickie Morph, who does the music that starts, ends, and intertwinkles this podcast, to the legendary Arthur Stobel for the logo, what adorns the T-shirt I am wearing now, as you can see, wearing a Sustainable T-shirt. Uh, which yes, you can very on-brand for the interview. Very on-brand, yeah. You can be like Dave and go to wobblywobblywobbly.sustainable.fish and click on T-shirts or merch or whatever it says, can't remember, And if you like what you hear and you want to get in touch with us and ask us to cover stuff, you never know, we just might. We are at wubblywubblywubbly.sustainababble.fish. That's wrong, isn't it? The email is hello at sustainababble.fish. We're on the Twitter at The Babble Wagon or on Facebook. Just search Sustainababble. Leave me alone. I'm tired.
1: Well, it brings me to a point which I was going to mention anyway, but it brings me to that point rather wonderfully, which is that someone suggested... Uh, we should have an Instagram account, and you, I think, tweeted out saying, "Should we? Shouldn't we? What the pros cons?" And someone else replied. I think it was Charles Fowler who replied, going, "Well, it would be another handle for Dave to get wrong." Yeah, it would. And I have to say, I agree. I'm not, I'm not sure we've got a bandwidth for
2: another would, no. thing to remember. But what we we need everything to be the same. This is the thing. If everything was the same, it'd be fine. Well, because that dude wouldn't s- let let us have- exactly. <laughs> it's his fault. There's a bloke who's got the Sustainable Twitter account, never uses it, and won't give it to us. Git.
1: That should become a crime in the International Criminal Court as well. Babble
2: side. Um, Right, I think that's it, isn't it all? We've done all the usuals. A reminder that if you like what you hear and you want to help us, please do chip in at wubblywubblywubbly.patreon.com slash sustainababble, where you can join the legions of happy babblees who support this fine organ with their dosh. Right, good, I'm done. Are you done? I'm done, Dave. I have never Good. been more done. See you next week, All bye. Bye.